Hey everyone, my name is Dr. Dolores Tarver. I'm a licensed psychologist here in Georgia and creator of Tea Time with Dr. Tarver, which is a wellness podcast. It is intended to encourage you on your growth process. It is not intended to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health provider. So here we are in our last Wednesday in September, and it is time for the tea. So welcome back to Tea Time with Dr. Tarver. This has been a good month. Uh, September, as we've talked about, has been around staying safe and just engaging in things that allow us to have healthy body boundaries, healthy body image, being able to create safe spaces with people in our lives, focusing on the things that give us resiliency, being able to have those um, identities that allow us to feel good about who we are and good about with whom we interact. September is also the month that is set aside by um, SAMHSA, so the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, to focus on recovery. And they're looking at recovery with regard to mental health and they're looking at recovery with regard to addictions. And they use this month as an opportunity to highlight how we can have healthy, well productive, loving lives, even in this space of living with mental health disorders and with addictions. And so it highlights the recovery process. And I want to make sure that in our last segment here in September, that we do focus on recovery because we are always going to be in recovery from something. And so today's topic is, will I ever recover? Maintaining your wellness journey. So I know that for a lot of things, there is a cure or there is a treatment plan. And by the time you're done with it, then whatever this thing is, 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 is completed. It's, it's healed. It's recovered. Um, it's not the same case with mental health and definitely with um, whenever it comes to, to trauma or whenever, when it comes to addictions. So, yes, you can break a bone and it will get set and put in a cast and you will have your time of recovery. You might have some rehab afterwards, but then for all intents and purposes, it's healed. You might have a little uh, arthritis when the weather changes on you, but for the most part, it's healed. Um, you may get braces and your teeth after that journey are corrected. And uh, if you do not like I did and wear your permanent retainer forever, um, then your teeth will, will remain straight in the place where they were positioned with these corrective devices, right? But that is not actually the case when it comes to mental health and particularly when it comes to recovery. Recovery is, is, is ongoing. There is no cure for trauma. There is no cure for mental illness. There is no cure for addictions. But it is about us having a meaningful and purposeful life it is about us being able to reduce the behaviors that are harmful to us, reduce other people engaging in behaviors that we find hurtful or demeaning or damaging. It is about us increasing our, our factors of resilience, the things that give us our bounce back, the things that allow us to be able to walk in this recovery journey. Um, it's about promoting healthy relationships and making wise, thoughtful choices, not acting out of our trauma, not acting out of our pain, not acting out of our addiction, not acting out of our illness, 
but being able to have this wise mind of being able to say, this is something that is healthy for me that I deserve. And here's the things that I want to stop that are interfering with me having that, or I want to encourage because they're going to allow me to have these things that I want and desire and need. Recovery is about respect and dignity and rights and being able, we've talked a lot about being able to set our own bill of rights, if you will, about what we're going to deal with and what we're not going to deal with. And recovery is about those boundaries as well, because within recovery, we have to know what it is that we can and cannot deal with. And it's also about communication. It's communication with ourselves, right? So we have to talk to ourselves, talk um, ourselves through things sometimes, but also about communicating with the people in our lives that we love, um, that we care about and who, who care about us. And this partnership, this new partnership that we establish with ourselves and with others around being in recovery and, and being on this journey to wellness. So I know oftentimes we focus a lot on the substances as we look at addictions, but there's a lot of things that we can be addicted to. As I've talked about previously, we can be addicted to work. We can be addicted to activities. You all may know people or you may be this person who is constantly doing something because you really are uncomfortable just sitting and being with yourself. It is hard for you to focus on yourself. So you get addicted to joining committees and organizations and being involved in church or school or um, adding new things to your life to, to take responsibility for. We can become addicted to that. We can become addicted to love. We can become addicted to people. We can become addicted to shopping, um, porn, gambling. We can become addicted to exercise, food. We can, be we can become addicted to wanting to have this constant high. So constantly seeking a thrill. There are so many things that give us a rush, an endorphin rush, and we chase that high in a lot of different ways. The newness of things, you'll see people start just new things, different things, um, because they want to experience that newness again. And so it is very easy for us to fall in that space of being addicted to things that give us, even if it's temporary, some type of high. So knowing that recovery is ongoing and knowing that there's a process, and I do not in any way intend to make recovery sound like it's simple, 12 steps, um, I know that is a, there are a lot of addiction models that utilize a step process. And I think sometimes that makes us feel like recovery is shorter and it's not lifelong. And I think sometimes when even we're discussing strategies like this, it can give the perception that this is something easy to be able to do. I should be able to walk myself through that. And I want to make sure that I'm communicating to you that you are not at all going to have a quick and easy process with this. There are some things that are going to be a part of us forever. Trauma will be a part of us forever. It's, it's going to be there. Addictions are going to be a part of us forever going to be there. Our mental health struggles, they're going to be there to some degree. They might be lesser at times to other degrees. They might be very strong at times. And so we are going to be compelled to act in a way that often recapitulates, uh, recreates that trauma experience or sets us up for triggers to be uh, um, to engage in addictive behavior. So we have to be so mindful of this process that there's going to be missteps along the way that we are going to fall back into old patterns along the way. Uh, now, we may get to a point where we're able to come out of it sooner 
that the duration is longer or is shorter. Um, the intensity that we feel of discomfort and pain as we're reliving things or re-experiencing things may be shorter. Uh, the frequency may decrease, but it's going to be there. And so I do want to make sure that I highlight that this is a ongoing, lifelong journey and there's going to be ebbs and flows, ups and downs, right? You're going to have some failures. You're going to have some successes. You may have to go in and out of different treatment options during this time. So I just wanted to highlight that before I get into these strategies. As with anything that you are trying to do that's going to allow you to be healthy, you have to prioritize it. Recovery is very important because if you do not prioritize your wellness, your health, the things that you need to be able to have the kind of life you deserve, then you're not going to be successful in your recovery. And you have to make time. Right. You have to have a plan. You have to have goals. You have to have accountability with those strategies. A lot of times we're aspirational in our thinking and we don't have anything concrete in place. I want to be well is not the same as a wellness plan. So it is very important that you have an actual plan. And we're going to talk about um, some of the ways that you can put a plan in place and some of the important people that may be helpful to you as you're putting that plan in place. And also some of the barriers. Um, no matter what you're experiencing in your life, whether you are trying to recover from an addiction, you're trying to recover from a mental health disorder, you are recovering from trauma, whatever it is that you're dealing with, it is always going to be important that you have meaningful and purposeful activities in which you are engaging. Because those are the things that allow us to have replacement behaviors. What is it that I'm here for? What is my purpose? What are my gifts? What are my talents? What am I passionate about? What is my why? And it is always important to have a why. And the why needs to be internal because the external things are what ends up allowing us to fall back into patterns, right? And so why do I say that? If your why is a person, then if that person is no longer available to you or you feel like that person is, a, is um, not happy with you, upset with you, that person leaves you, then you're going to lose yourself again. And so we want to be internally motivated. What is it about me that makes me worth being in this recovery process? What is it about me that allows me to be able to realize that I deserve to be well? Okay, so that's why it's about what are your goals? What's your passion? What's your purpose? Not what is someone else's uh, path, but what's your path? We all have gifts. What kind of life do I want to lead? What kind of person? Do I want to be? How do I want to show up for myself? It's very important in this process of recovery. Now, you are going to need help and it is going to be very important that you get treatment. And I'm not talking about the self-help books. I am talking about you need a licensed mental health provider. You need you might need a coach. You might need a nutritionist. You might need a, a, a pastor, a spiritual advisor. You may need some um specialists in some areas, because often, um, as we know, mind, body and spirit are connected. Often there are multiple things that we're dealing with. When you have trauma, it affects your body in a lot of different ways. When you have addictions also affects your body. So we are physically dealing with some maladies, if you will. And so I may need to attend to those because what we usually do when we're trying to stop one addiction is we transfer it to another. So now it's not alcohol. Now it's my food. Now it's not my food. Now I'm shopping. Oh, it's not shopping. 
Now I picked up smoking. Okay, well, I switched from smoking, but now I'm over here gambling, which is going to lead me back to smoking, right? So we have to be very, very careful about not transferring one thing to another. This is how people can get addicted to exercise. This is how people can get addicted um, to what they think is really healthy eating because we'll sports, we'll find things um, that we can become obsessed with and that will still stop us from dealing with the things that are underneath our addictions in our recovery process, underneath our trauma, underneath our illnesses. And so I'm still doing the same thing. I'm just substituting. We don't want to do that. So that's why it's important for you to make sure that you have a treatment specialist to help you understand what is underneath these behavior. What are my triggers? What are the things that I use as replacements? Because some of them may not be healthy. And so I may need to find some other ones. And I need to do that in the space with a professional to help me guide, be guided through that process. Support is always going to be an essential part of recovery. That is your treatment provider. That's going to be family. It might be a support group. It may not be family, depending on your family, because if they are part of your trauma um, and part of your triggers, then you may not need to necessarily engage with them. And in fact, I might argue that you don't at all. But I need to find whatever my family is going to be right, because we have family by blood and we have family by choice. And so whoever my chosen family is, I'm going to need them in this process and support also holds us accountable because often we are engaging in our addictive behaviors and our unhealthy patterns in secrecy, right? So I'm binge eating, not when I'm with people, I'm binge eating when I'm home by myself. I'm abusing these substances when I'm by myself or with people that are doing it with me, right? Because misery loves company. So if I can find some other people that are going to engage in this behavior too, I'm going to be with them. But we don't want people to see the dark side of us oftentimes. So we're doing those things privately. And what we want, recovery is about openness and transparency. And so what I want to do is not be hiding in shame, embarrassed in guilt. I want to be able to talk to some people about what I'm going through and have people be able to hold me accountable. You are not going to be able to just go home and say, hey, I can handle this. I got this. I can stop whenever I want to. I know we've all heard the jokes about that. But this is some of the ways that we rationalize because if I can keep these support people out, if I can keep these treatment providers out, then I'm really not having to fully invest in this process of recovery because I can slide in and out of it. There's no one there that I have to really answer to because when we're talking to us, we can rationalize anything. So, yeah, if I know I'm not supposed to have this thing because it's literally killing me, but if it's just me by myself and here I am overwhelmed, dealing with these emotions, uncomfortable, then this is the way that I'm used to soothing that or numbing that. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to what I know, because even though it's killing me, there's comfort in it because I know how it's going to affect me. And I'll take that temporary benefit over this long term distress that it's going to cause me. If you are honest with yourself, accountability is really the only way that guarantees you're going to have success. And this is if you've ever tried to be mindful of your eating patterns and track your calories on an app or whatever, written it down in a, in a log, it holds you accountable to what you're eating. You have to see it. You have to face it. Right. And so that is why this process is so important of having people support us be in a space because they're the people that are going to say, now, 
your plan is this. Is this consistent with your plan? And you have to actually be honest with them, right? So you need that. Triggers are instrumental in this process. Like we have to know what and who our triggers are. And you are going to be triggered. So there is, it, it's impossible to get rid of all of your triggers. It is definitely possible to manage your triggers. So you know that you were abused by a family member. And whenever you interact with that family member, it leads you to behaviors that are harmful to you. Then what we can do is eliminate you interacting with this family member. Now we might have to put some things in place, put some parameters in place, work through, because a lot of times we, we don't tell people about our trauma, our abuse. We have people in our families who have done things to us, but to preserve the family, or because the family was dismissive when we did tell them, then we continue to go around these people that have hurt us, that have harmed us, that have abused us. And these family gatherings, we're there with this person. And, and, and we don't feel like we have any other option. I don't want to cause distress. I don't want to upset people. I don't want to, right? So you're going to have to work through that. Create a plan. And that's why working with that treatment provider is important. How am I going to manage my guilt? How am I going to manage the um, conflict that it could cause in the family when I say I'm no longer going to come to this thing where this person who harmed me is, right? And that takes some work. Again, I do not by any means uh, make light of that. That is a journey for people. Um, and navigating that space can be very challenging. So it's important to have somebody in that space. But we do need to talk about how we're going to manage that trigger. When you are trying to be sober from things, whether that's sobriety in relationships, sobriety from substances, sobriety in terms of your shopping or impulsive behaviors that you may have, gambling, um, then it is going to be really important that I recognize the things that cause me to engage. One of the things that is consistent is this being alone in a space where you don't have anything to occupy your time, right? We've all heard the saying, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. Well, the mind can be your prison. So as you're sitting there at night, lonely, scared, um, you, you may be depressed or, or, or anxious, whatever it may be, in the nighttime, if you're a, a person that tends to go to bed at night, if your shift is a little different, you might feel this during the day. But um, in general, that quiet time before you would be going to sleep um, is when people are often engaging in these behaviors because I'm trying to soothe something. Right. Or I'm trying to numb something or I'm trying to avoid something. I'm trying to escape from whatever it is that's going on in my mind or I'm feeling in my body. And so that's going to be a trigger for me. Nighttime is frequently a trigger for people. Um, nighttime also can be a time when people were abused. And so that can be a difficult time or a time of a trauma. A house fire happened in nighttime. Um, flooding, whatever it may be, the tornado, hurricane came through at night. So there's a lot of uh, people that find night scary for various reasons. And so, yeah, that's when I'm going to be up shopping. That's when I'm going to be up gambling. That's when I'm going to be up on these porn sites excessively. That's when I'm going to be reaching out to these people who are, are destructive to me to try to fill these voids. And so knowing what your triggers are will allow you to put a treatment plan in place. What am I going to do instead? When are the times that I need to have something in place? What would that look like? Because sometimes it takes us a little while. Some of it is a little bit of trial and error. We're practicing things and seeing if they're working. And so being able to figure out, 
okay, how am I going to manage my triggers? You're going to have cravings. You are going to desire this thing, this person, this experience to which you are addicted. And you are going to need to be prepared to experience those cravings. Now, a lot of them, we can distract ourselves. Um, we can exercise. We can um, go get some kind of engagement in the activity. We can talk to people. Um, maybe that, that uh, you have a creative gene, you're in music and your artery, or artistry uh, that will allow you to be able to get out of that moment of craving and focus on something else and then the cravings pass. But the cravings are stronger immediately after you stop something. And then you're going to get um, intermittent cravings that are going to occur. And you're like, I don't even know where these came from. Like I've been fine for a while and then all of a sudden it hit me. Might have been a smell. It might have been a sound. It might have been a touch. Anything that reminded you and your body was like, oh, yeah, hey, remember that thing we used to do? Can we do that again? Uh, and so being able to successfully manage those cravings, what happens? I need to acknowledge that I'm having a craving. I don't need to run from it. I don't need to hide from it. I need to acknowledge it. And I maybe need to try to figure out, okay, what is causing this craving? Because again, is that a trigger? And is that something I can remove or something I can manage in my environment? How do I problem solve, right? So I'm learning how to deal with things in this treatment relationship that I have with my provider. Um, what are some other options for me instead of engaging in this thing that I'm, I'm craving right now? And that, you know, it might be hobbies, um, being able to engage in activities that you enjoy volunteering. There are a lot of things that we can use. We just want to make sure that they're healthy and they're not also going to trigger us. Right. So if I'm you know, if my trigger is when I'm very vulnerable, I reach out to people in very sexualized ways, then I don't want to go to a place where there's going to be other vulnerable people that are going to be reaching out in sexualized ways. Right. So I have to be very thoughtful about who I interact with, where people are. And because support groups can be triggering too. People can be describing experiences and talking about things that can trigger you. And so you have to be very mindful about, okay, where do I go? With whom can I interact? How do I want to focus this time if it is with a person? Or would it be more advisable for me to do some other activities? You want to have support systems with people who aren't engaging in the behaviors of which you're trying to stop, right? So if I'm struggling with alcohol use, I'm not going to be able to hang around you all you're doing all this drinking and I, cause I need to be honest with myself and I'm like, Oh no, I'm not going to drink. Y'all go ahead. Well, I put myself in that situation. I'm going to be smelling that alcohol. You all are going to be experiencing the effects of alcohol. I'm going to see it. That is not going to feel good to me in this sober place. When I'm used to being able to be in this experience with you all being in a bar, being in a lounge, being in places, um, where I'm used to having alcohol, like why would I set myself up for failure in that way? If I know I'm trying to stop with my shopping addiction, I can't hang out with y'all when I know y'all about to go shopping. Um, oh no, I'm not going to buy anything. Of course I am. And even if I don't do it in this space with you all, when I get home, I am because now I've been triggered, right? So now that craving is coming back for me. I saw it. I felt it. I experienced it. So I want it. So I have to be very careful about who I'm around, which is why this open, honest transparency is very important because I need to be communicating with people. Here are things that I just can't do. And that is a hard part of recovery. There are certain things you're just not going to be able to do. And as much as we like to say we're strong, we can handle it. Why put myself in a situation to test that? When I just need to be honest with myself about that's a part of my life that I'm going to let go of and I'm going to find these other meaningful things that I can have in its stead. Exercise, eating, sleep, those are going to be essential, right? 
You have to be so mindful of how you treat your body when you're in recovery. You take the best care of your body that you can. Because oftentimes when we stop addictions, then again, food becomes that replacement behavior. Food is comforting and food is gonna be there. It's not gonna change no matter what. That relationship is gonna be there. I can access it whenever I want to. And so we often find ourselves potentially gaining weight. And we can go in the other way of restriction, but frequently I find that people are gaining weight. And so now this weight is affecting my body in a different way. And depending on what my addiction was, I might already have some health issues that I'm trying to deal with. So it's really important that I'm very conscious about what I'm eating. Also, certain foods can be triggers depending on what your addictions are. And so I want to be careful about the amount of sugar, the amount of sodium I'm consuming. Um, and, th and this is not just in what we're eating. This is what we're drinking as well. Like I don't you know, necessarily need to be going to get energy drinks either with all this caffeine and all this sugar in it as a replacement for substances that I was using. All right. So I have to be very thoughtful about that. There are certain foods that increase the likelihood of anxiety. Caffeine is one of them. Nicotine is another. Um, and so I have to be thoughtful about what I'm putting in that could be inadvertently causing me additional distress. Right. So I'm already trying to. And you all know when you're going through withdrawal and you stop something and how your body reacts. Like now I'm adding things that are causing me to be more jittery causing me to be more anxious. That's probably not going to be helpful. Or I'm causing, or I'm eating things that are causing me to be more depressed, sad, lethargic. So I have to be very careful about that. I need to make sure that I'm getting a lot of water. I am going to hydrate my system because dehydration can also cause problems with attention, concentration, um, lethargy as well. So then what am I going to be doing? I'm going to be trying to get something to get me back up because I'm, I'm feeling down when I could be doing that with what I'm, what I'm eating. Um, sleep. I know sometimes eludes us, especially when we are in recovery. Um, your mind is racing and going, your body is craving things, and it can be hard to get to sleep, especially if what I was doing in my addictions are, were causing me to be able to sleep. Um, and so now that I don't have those things, I'm having a harder time. And this is, again, why these uh, treatment providers are so important, because I may need to be looking at options for medication. I may need to be looking at herbal options, things that can help me be able to get sleep. Sleep is restorative. It allows us to heal. And healing is a very important part of recovery. So you need to make sure that you have that. Um, gratitude, right? You are not going to get it all right. There are going to be, as I said, some missteps. You are going to fall off the wagon. You are going to stumble in your recovery. But I want you to be able to focus on what you have accomplished, what you are grateful for, where you have come from. Right. So, you know what? Yep. I slipped off, but I got back on sooner and I was able to catch it a little faster and I was able to put some things in place. Right. So being able to think about it in that way. Because you're not going to be perfect in recovering. This is why a lot of people give up. Oh, well, I messed up now. Might as well go all in. Um, the reality is that you don't have to be perfect in your life. You're not going to be perfect in your life. You are still lovable through those mistakes. You are still worthy and valuable through those mistakes. And you ultimately can still have a healthy, well-balanced loving, safe life in this process of recovery from mental illness, trauma, addiction, hurt and pain that you have, these wounds that have not been healed, you can recover. Doesn't mean that it will be cured because it won't, but it definitely means that you can be well.
Take care.